Welcome to BA Brew. I'm Jonathan. I'm Ian. And I'm Debbie. Today we're going to talk about the business case, a semi-controversial subject maybe, but definitely one we need to tackle. Um, Ian, I'm going to come to you first of all. Uh, business cases, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think business cases are, I guess, is the most interesting part of business analysis for me because there's no definite art to it, is it? It's a, always a grey area where you have to take a bit of a gamble, I suppose, and that's what makes it really kind of uh, interesting. And I, I also find that you always hear about bad projects and things that go wrong in projects. We very rarely hear of a bad business case. Do you, 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 some people don't revisit business cases uh, to see how well written it was or learn the lessons from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right, because I think with business cases, we get a bit hung up on them, don't you think? Because you can look at a business case as something that's really detailed and we really try to get all of these tangible and intangible benefits costed and, and then we analyse them and all this sort of thing. And actually, somewhere along the line, sometimes I think we sort of miss the point of a business case. You could almost be too detailed. Do you know hmm. what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, well, just when is enough enough? Yeah. Isn't it? Because you, you can't do, because it's options, isn't it? You might get four options and do nothing in a business case. And it's a chance to really scrutinise it enough to decide on which one is the best option, if any at all. Hmm. Yeah. So is it worth us specifying what we mean by this term business case? So when I think about it, I think it's the business reason or the business rationale for a change. And it includes that options analysis. We're going to do risk and impact assessment. We'll do a cost and a benefit analysis, possibly with some financial investment appraisal, but maybe not because because it's the business reason, it's, it's it's the rationale for the change. So it's not a big weighty document or not in all instances, you still need a business case, even if you've still got a business case, even if it's not written down. Because um, there's, there's an anti, anti-business anti case brigade, I, I'll call them. And I, and I met someone just a, just a last month, actually, told me that the business case is an archaic document that, that's a relic that should be consigned to the past. Um, we don't need business cases any longer. And, and I, I vehemently disagree with that opinion. I think we do need a business reason for our changes. Um, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. What, what, what are your thoughts on that one, Ian? Yeah, I think it may come from Waterfall. It's a legacy from Waterfall mm. where, I guess, it's, it's, it's a document. And, and if you pick up a template, if you work for a big organisation and they may have a template that you have to follow, there's lots and lots of headings, lots of which you don't really need to, to fill in. Mm. Um, so for me, it's the, the rationale of, of why you need a business case uh, and the reason. And if you can articulate that, <clears throat> excuse me, in a, in a smaller way, then that's what's important. But you have to leave, I guess, the sponsor in no doubt that they're investing their money in a worthwhile uh, venture and that they can pick the best out of options. So there's no good having just... You know, we just take the next option off the off the conveyor belt and assume that it's the right one. So it's that rigor that goes into it to determine what the best solution is. Mm. I think it's quite interesting as well, though, because that whole thing that you've just hit on, both of you, about the fact that it it is a document because it's written down. <laughs> whether it's written down as a very detailed, weighty document or whether it is something much more succinct, 
depends on the context, really, doesn't it? You know, it depends what you're trying to do. But ultimately, that's the thing to think about. What are we trying to do here? And what are we trying to explain and justify? And what options are we trying to explore to help somebody make a decision? And I think if we keep that in mind, we get better business cases. If we keep in mind, I've got to fill in every section in this template, <laughs> we're going to end up with not very good business cases. Um, and, and I think that's sometimes where the business case gets that sort of reputation you were talking about, Jonathan, because you've got that organisational overlay of template and filling in sections that somehow loses the point. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think anyone that's arguing you don't need business cases any longer, I think they're, they, they, they want that agility to flex ideas and, and solutions. And, and I don't think the business case is trying to stop that. It's trying to just make sure you've reflected and thought about what is it you're doing and why are you doing it? Have you considered your options? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think particularly if you're working in an agile context, the, the onus on us all as change professionals to do that thinking, I think it's, it's increased over and above if we're working in waterfall context because we're expected to do that thinking that what's going on in the external and the internal environment what the customer needs how might this new solution or this feature be perceived by users or customers having to do all of that quite often in our heads at at speed so that we don't come out with inferior solutions somebody's parting with money at the end of the day Mm. isn't it and you said before debbie what if it's your money yeah yeah. So you have to have that justification rigor. It's what we've got at as VAs, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. You know, analysis and providing that rigor. It's the mind, doesn't it? Because if you, if it's your money, and I mean, let's face it, you know, in a company like Assist, quite often it is the shareholders who are making the decision, it's their money. That really focuses your mind on the business case. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that interests me in business cases is predicting benefits. So, you know, you see some business cases and I remember seeing some years ago where a number of companies were applying to run the national lottery. Okay, and there was a bit of publicity around the business cases. And I remember looking at the numbers that were being talked about and sitting there thinking, but you're just guessing. (laughs) You don't actually know, you know? And and that's the interesting thing for me in a business case is sometimes you're trying to predict something and actually you don't actually know. And I think as both of you've said, if you've got external environmental changes, your best guess can be a really bad guess because the environment can change. And yet, somehow that becomes a better business case because we've set out the finances clearly and we've done the appraisal, but it can be based on sand a lot of the time. I'm going to go ultra geeky now. One of my favourite things to do is to look look at the assumptions and to do some variance analysis on the assumptions. So what if in your lottery example, they're projecting 10 million of sales of tickets. What if you only sell 10? (laughs) <laughs> do the variance analysis and I love doing that but that that's um that's that's ultra geeky but I do think it's important because we can project with massive amounts of confidence on very flashy slides these these visions of the future rosy incomes that may be based on absolute sand quicksand 
uh, yeah. as you say and 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 hence I like to look at the assumptions and um yeah um <laughs> very sad of me yes <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> maybe I'm not the person you want reviewing a business case if you <laughs> if you want to just put something out there and hope no one <laughs> no one looks at the looks at the numbers but someone's got to do that work yeah. um, who do you think sorry, there's a tension isn't it there's a tension there between how much work you put in up front mm. and you might lose your market position then you know, you, the market just run away and mm. I guess it's, it, it depends on how risk averse the, the organisation is and I think you really need to win, you know, be in tune with that when you produce a business case mm. for your company or, or for a client yeah relative yeah. to the context yeah yeah it's there's quite some... interesting though because there's a there's a famous saying and I can't remember exactly but it was the chief executive I think of Chrysler Motors, I think, in the States, who commented that senior management need to be able to make decisions. If they can only make decisions by, given, by being given a business case that tells them what to decide, then they could be replaced with a machine. Mm, yeah. And I thought, I've always thought that was a really interesting comment on a business case situation because Ultimately, if you are a decision maker, you have to be able to understand the concept of intangible benefit. Because, you know, most costs tend to be tangible. Most benefits tend to be intangible unless you're guessing or predicting um, and who knows what the prediction is based on. But if you expect a business case to tell you the decision to make, why are you there? Mm. So we are facilitators, aren't we? as BAs, and we're always, always facilitators, but in the business case, they ask us for a recommendation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and actually sometimes, and I don't know, you've probably come across this, Ian, and you, Jonathan, where some organisations will not sign off a business case unless it shows a return within a certain mm. time frame. Therefore, the business case is sometimes written to show that return. Mm. That's actually yeah. meaningless, isn't it? I really don't like that recommendation section because um, the ownership for the decision has to sit with that business decision maker. Um, and I much prefer the preferred option uh, as, a, as an alternative title for that section because the ownership has to stay with the business. Business change can be really difficult and, and onerous. And if, if we recommend, it, is it whose fault is it if it goes wrong? Is it is it the project team? Is it the BA? Is it the whoever's behind this this business case um this um this thing around um lean startups so there's an idea around lean startups whereby you test and learn you put something out to market you see if it works and then you reflect and you learn and and that's seen as a bit of a, a movement or an anti-movement against business cases in, by some i don't see it that way i see it as a to test and learn to test if a product works is you testing your business rationale and learning there's still a business case. And one of the things that that for me makes me think of is that in smaller companies, such as the one I work with for Assist, um, we're able to do that because we're quite close to our customers in, in many instances. But in a larger organization, the business decision makers are somewhat removed from the customer. So not able to as easily test and learn with the customers as to what's working. And I was kind of thinking, is the business case kind of a symptom of the organization that these big documents, are they a symptom of the leaders of the organization maybe not 
understanding their environment as well as they might, maybe not being able to sense what's working with the customers. Are they, is that where the problem is with business cases maybe? I think you're right. Uh, normally the people who have the money, the sponsors are so way up, they're, they're a little bit kind of too far away from it. And that's when we talk about maybe agile teams being empowered to make that decision because they are closer to it. Mm. I think it's a good thing. Mm. Uh, I mean, you work for a big organization and they're so far away from it, they have a big budget and you often, I guess you often see inflated benefits just to get that slice of that money, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, it's, it's, you're in a fraudulent place there, aren't you? And then and, and, yeah. I'm guessing that's why some of them actually fail and they got such a bad reputation in, you know, in previous years. But I think Agile, these lean startups, I think they are much closer, if they are empowered and, and the money is closer to the team, you know, I think that's, that's only a good thing. Yeah, it can only be a positive, can't it? Um, who do you think should own the business case then? Um, is it the business analyst? Is it a product owner? Is it a project manager or program manager? What are your thoughts, Debbie? Oh, I thought you were going to go to Ian for that one. I was thinking, oh, good. Ian's got some thinking time. Yeah, Ian will now sip his coffee while I ponder this one. Who should own the business case? That is a very good question. I personally do think it should be the project sponsor. And I have a bit of a problem with the product owner role in that context sometimes, okay? But I think the project sponsor is the person in the business who has to take a bit more holistic ownership. Hmm. So it's not, if you like, the piece of software that's being enhanced or developed or something like that, the product, and the product could obviously be something else. It's that business outcomes that they're looking for. And really, you know, if we're coming back to what we started with, if we're making a case for change, mm -hmm. it's about business outcomes. It's not about developing a product because that product may never, ever achieve the business outcomes if we don't have it in that business outcomes context. I'm going to keep saying business outcomes because <laughs> it's justifying on this. So what do you think, Ian? Do you disagree with me? <laughs> so in reality, I think, in my experience, and this goes against theory, uh, the, the person who does own it, and they're normally kicking around waiting for the next project, is the pro project manager. Now, it shouldn't own, they shouldn't own, the, yeah. I'm with you, the project sponsor should own it uh, and be accountable for it. Yeah. Um, but you very often find out in the field that the, there's a project manager knocking around waiting for the next project and they will coordinate it. So I think you know, it, it takes input from many, many places, including marketing, which really needs to be sound. Yeah. Uh, but the ultimate owner all throughout should be that project sponsor. And it's interesting at the back end of that business case, when you benefits realization, because a project is expensive and everybody in that project is, is there for a moment in time, they have to disperse. So it has to be that, that realization has to be that sponsor because they normally the business unit manager or whatever, but they yeah. are still around. They need to be accountable for that again. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you implying, Ian? <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth here. That sometimes project sponsors may not have the time or the 
I was going to say understanding, but I don't want to be too sharp about it. But, you know, do they always get the context for what the business case ownership entails? Because sometimes that is why the project manager or a project manager has to get involved, isn't it? Because they maybe understand the way this all works a bit better. Yeah, I think it's the coordination of it as well. I mean, because a PM coordinates when the project is initiated, uh, and it's it, and and it's still a little bit of that when you're pulling together all different aspects of a of a business case. But yes, I think there is a time aspect to it. Like all projects, uh, organisations run a lean shift to maximise profit, mm. and when they do that, it's a case case of how much time do they have for transformation, and that I guess applies to the project sponsor as well. Yeah. That's, and that's part of the problem all the way along the line, isn't it? Which is why people like business analysts have to be there because the people who are doing the work just don't have the time, you know, so we have to build something there. I think it's interesting because I, I, I've seen it a lot. Uh, the project manager owns on behalf of the sponsor because the sponsor's too busy and, and, the, and the, the challenge with it, and I think that is the general practice that I've seen certainly where, where I've worked in the past that there's an assumption that there's going to be a project because the best option might be do nothing yeah and it, it's it's really challenging because we've got this accepted kind of practice where the project managers often or finance or someone is is owning this thing called a business case and it it's in the guise of project governance but there's a big problem with that because there's an, that assumption that we're going to do a project and it might be the best thing to do for the organization to not do this thing and, and to not go ahead and produce whatever it is um, that the project's going to produce. And it, it's, so, it's, it's, it's a big problem. I don't think we can solve it here, but um, I do think there's a challenge there. So what I think we should do is wrap up today's brew. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening in and watching. Um, if you've got any ideas for future BA brews, please email us at babrew at assistkd.com. Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, I could have gone on for ages on that.